0: great to be here with all of you this morning. If you're uh, newer with us here at Greenbelt, my name is Kevin. I serve as the lead pastor here. We are in week two of a sermon series called Distraction, Putting God First in a Busy Life. How many of you, by show of hands, would say your life is busy? (laughs) Yeah, I got together for lunch last week with a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. He's a retired pastor, and he's like, Kev, could you pray for me? I'm so tired. Like, what? He goes, oh, my goodness. It's so exhausting. I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. I'm like, dude, you're retired because I know I'm busier now since I've retired from pastoral ministry than I've ever been. And those of you who are retired are nodding as well. Like, stop it. You're freaking me out. I'm looking forward to the golf courses and the rest and the relaxation that comes with retirement. That doesn't seem to happen in our world today. We live lives. That are very hectic, very busy, we deal with work, we deal with school, we deal with family, we deal with sports, we deal with illness, we deal with hobbies and bills and appointments and commitments and all of these things hit us at a thousand miles an hour. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that in what the Bible teaches that we are to put God first, (laughs) We believe that we're to put God first in all areas of our lives. Jesus teaches about this in multiple times in multiple ways. Seek first God's kingdom and then everything else will be taken care of. <laughs> but it's easy to be distracted from seeking first God's kingdom in my life. Just like I know it is in your life. It's very easy to think and fall into ways that are very distracted. So, My hope in this sermon series that we're doing for a few weeks is that we would just get really practical together as a church family, that we would look at what the Bible teaches us, and because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God and it kind of guides us to Christ, it guides us in Christian living, well, what if we actually did what it said? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? That's like this revolutionary idea that Christians would actually do what the Bible says to do, right? Yeah, wow! It's revolutionary Why hasn't anyone thought of this before? (laughs) Right? So I want to be practical Let's look at it Let's ask some questions about our lives And and see how we can spur each other on To be less distracted So we can live lives that bring glory to God That we can live lives that that have an eternal impact Because the reality is The stuff that you and I are distracted by Are temporary Sports Go Raptors. <laughs> yeah, the Star Wars guy's making a sports reference. I, the Raptors. I, I saw it on Instagram this morning. We won something. Okay. I think it's sports. Basketball. Right? It's basketball? Yeah, sports people. Okay. Anyways, I just alienated most of you. Um, but that's temporary. Our careers, it's temporary. Our education, our finances, our hobbies, everything. It's all temporary. The only thing that will last for eternity is the work that the church does in building up followers of Christ to go out into all the nations and make disciples. So I was praying this week and I was asking God, God, what is in my life that distracts me from living my life to the full for you? And so I'm sitting in my reclining sofa at home. I have this great couch. I love my couch. We kind of bought this couch. It was on sale. It's a couch that under any other normal circumstance, I can't afford. But it was on liquidation. It was like liquidated, liquidated, liquidated. And Danielle was dealing with some back stuff, so she wanted a recliner to deal with her back stuff. The back stuff got healed after praying for it for a couple of weeks, so I'm really blessed with this couch. Okay, and I designed my entire basement. My basement flooded a couple of summer, a couple of winters ago, so I used that as an opportunity to build the perfect kind of environment for me to geek out and watch TV and watch movies. So I got this couch lined up, and, and it reclines, and it's so comfortable. And I sit there, and I actually, I'm a mask guy, so I calculated the angles, and I know the t- the couch should be here, it's X distance from the wall, I put the TV up, so when I'm reclined, with no strain on my neck, and very minimal effort of my eyes, I can look straight at the television, and I've got the speakers are perfectly angled, they hit my chair, not the chair beside me, they all hit my chair, because I like to... Feel the music. I like to feel the helicopter blades and all the war movies I like to watch, okay? Or the laser bolts and everything. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, what distracts me? <laughs> and God said, you're sitting in it. <laughs> because I can get into that couch and waste hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. I just one episode of this show on Netflix. I uh, just one more. I uh, just one more. I uh, just one more. I just watched eleven episodes of The Office. How does that happen? Is it just me? Or are we easily distracted? And a little part of me goes, No, but Kevin, you work really hard. You deserve a break. You deserve to be comfortable in that sofa. It's like, yeah, okay, I worked an eight hour day that doesn't justify fourteen hours in a sofa. <laughs> If my rest time is significantly higher than my work time, I might be out of balance. Today I want to talk about a topic that's difficult but easy. (laughs) Because most of the teaching of the Bible is that. It sounds difficult when we read it. But if we actually allowed the Spirit of God to work in us, like the Bible says the Spirit of God works in us, It's actually easy to do it, but we have to allow it. We have to allow the spirit of God to work in our lives. We started that last week when we started this series off talking about the call that you and I have as Christians to be holy. And we saw that if you want freedom from distractions, it starts with choosing holiness. Now, because of what Jesus has done, he died on the cross. He paid for your sin. You accept Christ. The Spirit of God comes in you. You are made new. Jesus calls that being born again. You are holy. But God in his grace allows us to choose to be holy. You are holy if you've accepted Jesus. But then you choose to be holy. You choose to let the Spirit of God work in your life and transform you. So we started last week about the call that we need to want freedom from distraction. We have to choose holiness. And when you and I choose holiness, it will change how you and I live. And that's what I want us to focus on today. We're going to focus on kind of this teaching from the Apostle uh, Paul in Romans chapter 12, talking about Being a living sacrifice. I want to talk about being a living sacrifice today. Now, when you hear the word sacrifice, what do you think of? It's not one of those yay words. Yay, I get to sacrifice today. I get to deny myself. I get to not enjoy things. I get to like not get to use my money. I get to not use my time. I get to sacrifice. We think of sacrifice as death. Killer of fun. Killer of joy. Killer of the life that I want. And the church says I have to sacrifice. Wah, wah. We think of animals being slaughtered in the temple. You know, when people say, oh, Kev, if you could time travel, because I like time travel. I think time travel is a great concept. And I would love to go to ancient Israel and see temple sacrifice happening. That must have been a madhouse. Just a gong show, literally, as they're gonging and then the Trumpets are blowing, and there's kind of pillars of fire, and there's incense, and there's priests that are singing, and it's loud, and it's boisterous, and the people are bringing in animal sacrifices to pay for their sins. The priest gets up, he pulls out this knife, cuts the sheep in half, pulls out the intestines, cleans them all up. This is church, (laughs) okay? And then takes the blood and puts it on the altar and says, now your sins are forgiven, (laughs) Uh, messy death sacrifice
1: screaming
0: animals but paul talks about sacrifice in a very different way how you as a follower of jesus have been called to be a living sacrifice and if you're here today or if you're watching this online and you would say well i'm not a follower of jesus you're exempt You're exempted today. This isn't a passage for you. I hope today will encourage you to consider Jesus and see how he brings us to a life that is so much more meaningful than what the world has to offer. But as Christians, as the church, we're called to a life that is different. So let's read here from Romans chapter 12. If you have a Bible with you, open up there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one that's in the chair in front of you. That's our gift to you. Or you can take your mobile device, open up your web browser, go to greenbelt.church, click the media tab, and you'll see sermon outline there. You could follow along that way. So let's see here. Romans chapter 12, starting right at the beginning, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, To offer yourselves, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. (laughs) The Christian message is not a message of be good, then God will love you. Every other faith, every other man-made religion on the planet is be good, perform, and maybe the gods will be pleased, if you're lucky. The Christian faith is completely different from any other faith in the world. The Christian faith says this, that there is a God, one God, a holy God, set apart, and that he is the creator of heaven and earth. And there is no one greater than him. And he created humanity in his image. And right from the very beginning, humanity was given the freedom to choose to follow God or rebel. And the very first humans chose rebellion because they wanted to be like God. And sin entered the world. And right from the very beginning of human history, God had a plan to deal with this sin, to deal with this spiritual death that every human inherits. And all throughout your Bible, your Bible is pointing to this coming Messiah, who is coming to deal with sin, who is coming to deal with death. And so the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, he leaves his throne in heaven. He is given uh, mary a virgin gives birth to jesus he lives a sinless life he is tempted in every way that you and i are tempted but is without sin and then he starts a ministry pointing people to the kingdom of god this is what the kingdom of god is like this is what it's like not what these religious people are saying These religious people are saying, be good, be good, be good. But they're just hypocrites because they're not good. They can't keep the law. They can't keep the commandments. We have the commandments and the law to show us that we are sinners. And Jesus says, there's a different way to live. That I have come that they would have life and have life to the full. And religious people didn't like that. So they arrested them, they beat them, and they killed them. Because he said, I am God. Not a prophet, not a good moral man, but God. And as God was hanging on the cross, God the Son hanging on the cross, dying for our sin. The wrath of God. See, God is a God of love, but there is wrath. And he has to judge sin. He can't just ignore it. But instead of the judgment falling on you and me, the judgment fell on Jesus. And while the people mocked him and made fun of him and watched him die, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he died. They stuck a spear in his side just to make sure. They put him in a tomb, and he sat there for three days, lied there probably. And then three days later rose from the dead, victory over the schemes of hell, victory over sin, victory over death. He went around and hundreds of people saw him and he kept pointing them to the mission of God. Go make disciples, teach them to obey, (laughs) teach them to obey, go make disciples. (laughs) And then Jesus returned to heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father speaking on your behalf. That when God looks at you, God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees a saint, he sees a holy, chosen, righteous person. And then Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you, to change you, to make you new, to make your body his temple. And then he has given you the power to live the way God wants you to live. It's a very different message than everyone else. I do get a little offended when people say ah, Christianity is just like everything else. Read it. It ain't. It's very different. And as we've been seeing in this series and as I preach all the time, what we believe about that message will change how you and I live our lives. You see, your theology changes how you live. What you believe about God changes how you live. How you believe, renew your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it changes how you live. That's why our mission is to lead people in knowing Jesus. Why? Because it changes you for living for Jesus. It changes you for sharing Jesus. Your theology changes how you live. And if your theology is not changing how you live... Check your theology because <laughs> you might be a little off. <laughs> and one of the theologies that I think the Western church has been dealing with for the last 75 years is that the church exists for me. That is a theological position that I attend the church that gives me what. I want my style, my length, my comfortable chair, my, 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 me, me, my. There's nothing wrong with finding a church that fits your preference so that you can grow spiritually. But if you find God is distant, if you find that God is, you're distracted. Everything in our culture today says make your life comfortable. Make your life easy. Bless yourself. (laughs) And as we talk about this topic of, of being a living sacrifice, the big idea that I want us to spend some time unpacking today is this, is that you will always be distracted if you are always putting yourself first. You will always be distracted from the ways of God and the missions of God if you are always putting yourself first. Now, this doesn't mean don't take care of yourself. That's not what I'm saying. I believe in Sabbath. I believe everyone's got to have rest. I believe that everyone, you can't let people spiritually abuse you and don't let people abuse you, take advantage of you, be healthy. But being healthy doesn't mean me, 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 me. You will always be distracted by putting yourself first. So to help us fully grasp what I think Paul is teaching about here in Romans, Romans 12, I want us to really just focus and zero in on two words. I want to talk a little bit more about sacrifice. And I want to talk about how Paul uses the word worship. And so let's unpack those two words so that we can deal with the distractions in our lives. So that you and I can find simple ways to put things into our life. So we can be a living sacrifice. So the first word is sacrifice. Now Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. Now, in the church of Rome, you had a lot of different people there. You had some Jewish people, people who come from a Jewish Hebrew background, and people who come from a Greco-Roman pagan background. A lot of different religions all smacked together in this new thing called the church in the city of Rome. And so for the people who would have received this letter, the word sacrifice is very clear to them. (laughs) They know exactly what a sacrifice is. The Jewish people, they would have probably seen animal sacrifices happening. The Roman people would have seen animal sacrifices. A lot of the other Roman gods had animal sacrifices as well. And even in the days of Paul, even though it was, a lo- it was less common in the days of Paul, but human sacrifice was still happening in the Roman Empire where families would sacrifice their children in order to be more blessed by the gods. was less common, but it was still happening. So the readers here would hear, would be very familiar with sacrifice, and sacrifice always meant death. Sacrifice was always something to avoid. You didn't want to be the sacrifice. (laughs) But Paul says something radically different here. He says, you church you christian you follower of jesus are to be a living sacrifice not a dying sacrifice it's a type of sacrifice that doesn't bring death it's actually a type of sacrifice that brings life see we think if i have to sacrifice that's gonna kill me a little bit (laughs) If I have to deny myself this way of living, this way to spend my money, this way to use my sexuality, this thing to watch on TV, whatever it is, if I deny myself, somehow that will kill me a little bit. But Paul teaches the exact opposite. When you sacrifice, that's when you'll truly live. You'll truly live. And so Paul spends the whole first 11 chapters of Romans talking about Jesus, talking about God, talking about the state of Israel. And if, you, if you're into theology, that, this is the book to study. There's so much great stuff in here on who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished and what God is doing in the world. A great book to study theology. But then in chapter 12, Paul goes, <laughs> completely changes direction because Paul, like we see in all of his writings, theology leads to how you live, change your theology, you change your life, change your thinking, you change your actions. So he spends chapter 12 to, and the rest of the book talking about your life. See again, and we have this tension with this part, with this living sacrifice, because it says, well, this, if you kind of offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, you're holy, talk about that in a second. And it's pleasing to God. And you go, but wait a minute, Pastor Kevin, I thought God is already pleased with me. Right? It's not my works. It's not my actions. It's not how I live my life. I don't have to do things to earn God's pleasure. And the answer is, you're right. (laughs) When you accept Christ, God is well pleased. We don't, again, that's why I explained what the Christian faith is, because we don't earn that. We don't. Work for it in order to receive God's love. God loves us. But think of it like this as a parent. If you're a parent here, you get this. You love your children unconditionally. I hope. If you don't, book an appointment, we'll talk and I'll get some resources for you. If you're a parent and you make your kids strive and you gotta work for daddy's love, okay, let's talk. Um, but all, but deep down, most of us, we love our children unconditionally, but when our kids do something, when they succeed in sports, when they do really well in school, when they volunteer, when they help a little old lady cross the street, when they donate their lunch money to a charity, we are well pleased with them. It's like, wow, they didn't learn that from me. Okay, good job, kiddo. And I know you think this way because I see you posting this on social media. You don't post the bad stuff your kids do. Good job, parents, because that's cruel. My kid, no, 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 my kid failed another exam. I don't see that. What do I see? Look at Sally, she got an A plus, and it's all full of Instagram. You are well pleased. Right? that's the way God looks at this. God is well pleased with us in our sin. When we accept Christ, we have we don't earn God's love. But when we step out of sin, when we step into the mission of God, when we follow his perfect will and his perfect plan for our life, God is pleased by that. It brings him joy like a good father that he's excited that his church, that his children are on his mission. So remember, you are holy Because Jesus made you holy, you step into a life of choosing holiness, living set apart. And it's a sacrifice sometimes to do it. But when we sacrifice, it leads to life. And the second word that I want us to just unpack just for a little bit is the word worship. Because worship is a loaded word, and I get it. And we struggle with it. And the reason we struggle with it is because in the New Testament... There's actually two different Greek words that scholars translate into the one word worship. And so we create these tensions around it. The first usage of the word worship, best example for it is John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the story of Jesus. He meets a Samaritan woman. She's kind of caught in adultery. She's got a whole bunch, she's lived with a whole bunch of different guys. And so Jesus starts kind of probing her and talking about her sex life. She goes, "Eh, let's change the subject. I don't want to talk about my sex life. Let's talk about worship, because that's not a divisive topic at all. (laughs) Let's just do that instead. And she says, the Jewish people worship in the temple. The Samaritans worship over here on the hill. Which one is right? And Jesus says, well, there's actually a type of worship that the Father is seeking. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus uses the word worship in that context, it's actually the Greek word proskuneo. Proscaneo, and that word means literally to fall prostrate in adoration of someone greater than you. It's to fall on your face in adoration of someone who is so much greater than you. The best picture I have ever seen of that, of Proscaneo, is my dog, Paisley. My dog worships me. Now, I'm a cat person, and I look at this dog and like, dude, pick yourself up. It's embarrassing. You know, no cat would ever, like, stoop to that kind of level. I come home after a day of work, and this dog, she is comes bouncing up, and her tongue flapping, and her ears flapping, and she jumps up all over me. And then she goes, and she falls on her belly. A falls on her back, shows me her belly, and she's like, ah, rub my belly, rub my belly. And then she'll lick my shoes. Dogs are gross. What's wrong with this thing? He said, cat would never do that. Come on, cat would just smack you around, right? That's worship, according to John chapter 4. That's what we strive to create on Sunday. Now, I don't expect people to be hitting the ground and licking boots or anything like that. We've kind of moved a little bit beyond that in the evangelical history of our church. But that's the position our heart takes. That I come to worship. That there's this God, and I've got nothing to give him. I don't have enough faith. To give him. I don't have enough religion to give him. I don't have enough talents to give him. I don't have enough money to give him. I don't have enough anything. All I can give him is my adoration for what he's done for me. And that's it. That's all I got. So I will bow before him. He's so much greater, and his love is so mind blowing. I don't even comprehend it most days. That's what we do for an hour and 15 minutes a week. The other Greek word for worship is what Paul uses here in Romans 12. And this is what we do every other minute for the rest of the week. And it's the word latreia. Latreia means divine service, divine service. It's the work of the priest that the priest the work that the priest does in the temple is divine it's holy it's set apart it looks different than everybody else's work it's holy and it's worship and the tension comes between this living sacrifice and the worship and the two different versions of worship is you know there's a tension when you know people go wow well, I don't need Sunday Because my whole life is a spiritual act of worship. And people say that. I don't need Sunday. I don't need to make Sunday regular. Because my whole life is a spiritual act of worship. Because they're quoting Romans 12 to me. And this is what I do. This is how I have fun. Right? This is how I disciple. I I disciple people by poking. I try to find the holes in people's theology. Lovingly. And people say, well, I don't need to worship this way. Because my whole life is a spiritual act of worship. I go, really? Because mine's not. There's parts of my life where it's not set apart. It's not divine. The parts where I fail, fall very short. And you know what? It's easy to do that working in the church. It's easy to just be busy, meet people, run programs, prep sermons, do everything you got to do and go, oh my goodness, I haven't prayed in three days. It's very easy to forget because we're distracted. Now, how many of you are Perfect. Every area of your life is this divine service to God. We all need to grow in this. We all need to improve in this. And so I think Paul gives us the answer on how we can grow in that type of life as he continues this text. It's fascinating that he takes being a living sacrifice. This is true worship. And then he goes into spiritual gifts. If you want to be Living a life, that's a living sacrifice. You want that to truly be your divine service to God. It starts with being a part of the church. (laughs) And here's the biggest truth that I've come to realize in this day and age that you and I live in. Going to church takes sacrifice. There's a million other things to do on a Sunday. I'll be honest. There's some Sundays like, oh man, if I wasn't, you know, if it wasn't my job to be here i might be somewhere else because life is busy there's so much going on joining a life group during the week are you insane i don't have any free nights my sofa at home would disagree with that statement i have more free nights than busy nights according to my sofa i can't help out at the big give i on a saturday morning be at the church at 7 a.m are you insane Volunteer in kids' ministry? Are you crazy? They're kids. They're creepy. They smell funny. They're loud. Being a part of church requires a little bit of sacrifice. But if you do, Paul says, it leads to life. So two things, I think, from the text that I want to just kind of close our time with, and then I want to give you something very practical. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework this week. I never do that. School's almost done. Let's give you more homework. Talk about it in your life group. But the way that I see Paul moving in here, if you want to live a life free from distraction, if you want to live a life kind of being a living sacrifice, divine service to God, the first truth that you've got to understand is that you cannot mature spiritually without the help of others. You cannot grow spiritually without the help of other people. I love how Paul writes this in verse 3, right? He talks about, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober, sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, the people in Rome, they're kind of full of themselves. <laughs> Who has the richer family? Who's got the whiter toga? Who's got the nicer sandals? who's kind of more spiritual in the church. And Paul says, we all fall short. We're all distracted. We're all at different levels of our faith. Evaluate your life. Evaluate your life. Because if you were really honest, really real before God and really real before the church, you know there's areas that you can grow in spiritually. You know God's calling you to spiritual maturity in some area of your life. And God doesn't expect you to go through it alone. He gives all of these spiritual gifts (laughs) to help you grow. And they're gifts that other people have. (laughs) I'm so incredibly grateful to the people who pour into my life, even to this day. I love getting together regularly with our elders. I love when I get together one-on-one with our elders and we pray together. You know, we encourage one another. I need that. It builds me up. It gets me fired up and encouraged and strengthens my faith. When you use your gift and I am blessed by it. I need you. I need you so I can grow spiritually. I'm so grateful for the men and the women who are in my life and using their gifts so that I can mature in my faith. So, if you You cannot mature spiritually without the help of others. And the second thing... From the text here, I think Paul points us to is that you cannot mature spiritually without maturing others. You will never fully grow into this living sacrifice that God calls you to. You will never fully grow into the man, woman, boy, girl God wants you to be if you're not helping other people to mature. He talks, you know, in verse 6, he talks about that we have different gifts. He uses the analogy of the body. Each body all belongs to each other. You as the church, we belong to each other. We need each other. I need you to grow spiritually. You need me to grow spiritually. It's a body. But um, I won't, you won't grow spiritually. You won't mature spiritually if you're not maturing somebody else. Like If you look at the gifts that are listed here in Romans 12, Not one of these gifts are for your benefit. (laughs) Not one. None of them directly benefit you. If your gift is prophesying, you get words from God, you get visions from God, you get pictures from God to share with other people. It's not for you. You need to give it away. (laughs) And you're not going to grow in that gift if you don't use it. If you don't tell, if God tells you to say something to someone, you go, Hey, yeah, it's not happening. I'm not saying it. You're not going to grow in it. Not going to mature in it. Right? Look at the gift. says, if your gift is serving, doesn't say serve yourself, (laughs) bless yourself. If your gift of spiritual gift of service, serve somebody else, (laughs) then serve. If your gift is teaching teachers in a room by themselves, it's not a fun place to be. You get locked up for that. When you're talking to yourself and teaching people theology and teaching people the Bible all on your own, it's not for you. You teach. Give it away. If you have the gift of to encourage other people, well, then be encouraging them. I heard a mentor of mine uh, once say, if you think of something nice to say to someone, say it. They need to hear it. So many of us hear a thousand bad things about ourselves every day because we keep telling ourselves bad things about ourselves every day. You think of something good about someone, tell them, right? If it's giving, give. If it's lead, lead. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Oh, i got to go help that person again. You don't have the gift of mercy if you're not cheerful. Stop visiting people if you're crusty, okay? It's It's for other people. You cannot mature spiritually if you're not maturing somebody else. And it's a sacrifice. It takes time. It takes a little bit of effort to know what our gifts are and where God has called us to serve. It's, I wish there was a burning bush that would just say, Ta-da! This is what you should do and you will be blessed by the Lord. So here's your homework. All of us can take a step in living being a living sacrifice, to grow spiritually, to mature other people. (laughs) We be matured, they be matured. And the question I ask people all the time who feel stuck in this area is, I ask people, what is your shape? What is your shape? And I ask this question of Christians because so many of us, we feel like I'm not growing spiritually because my church is not giving me something. If my church would only give me this, then I would. That's thinking about you. And you'll always be distracted and you will always be stuck spiritually if you're the first person you think of. (laughs) So that's why I ask Christians. I ask people new into the church, what is your shape? The shape can be broken down. What is your spiritual gift? What are the gifts that God has given you? Do you know what they are? If you don't, we can help you figure out what they are. What's your heart for ministry? What gets you excited in your heart to serve in? What kind of abilities do you already have? I find it hilarious when people want to volunteer in the church with stuff that they stink at. It's like, you're an amazing carpenter. Would you help us build this? Nah, I do that all day. (laughs) But you're good at it. So we're going to get someone who doesn't know how to do carpentry to fix the roof. That's wise. You know, it's like, what abilities has God given you to use? Your personality plays into this. Your experience in your life. Do you see how all of those things God could use you to grow in your faith, to mature other people, to be a living sacrifice, to live a life that's pleasing to God, being on mission for God? Like how this has played out in my own life. Like when I became a Christian, I became a Christian as an adult, started attending a church. My pastor saw some gifts in me that I didn't know were there. And he said, Kev, you're going to head up our men's ministry. And I go, okay. Cool. What does that mean? He says, well, I got a whole bunch of guys that are hooked on porn. A bunch of them are on drugs. Their wives are leaving them. They're losing their jobs. They're deadbeat dads, and I don't know what to do with them, so go fix them. And he threw me into a room Monday night with about 20 guys, and my co-leader was a good friend of mine named Steve, and we had no clue what to do. We had no clue what to do. And I literally said, well, why don't we just open our Bible, and why don't we just, every week, we're just going to read a psalm. We started with Psalm 1. Why not? <laughs> started with Psalm 1, and every, the next week we read Psalm 2, and the next week we read Psalm 3, and the next week we read 4. See the pattern? Just kind of numerical. Wasn't more complicated than that. Wasn't more strategic than that. We read a psalm together. We prayed over each other for the psalm, and then we saw guys getting freed from porn, left, right, and center. We saw marriages being restored. We saw people kind of just, God just blessing and blessing and blessing. And then the pastor saw that and said, oh, my goodness, wow, God's really moving and working in you, so we're going to take you because you obviously have this gift, and we're going to put you into kids' ministry. Now, I like kids. I like high-fiving them on Sunday morning, and I like when they bring me cookies, and I like to tease them that I'm going to eat their cookie on Sunday morning. Kids' ministry almost killed me. <laughs> yes, yeah, so please volunteer in our kids' ministry. <sighs> but that's a heart thing. I didn't have a heart for it. And that's okay if you don't. But you have a heart for something. Your gift matches your heart, matches your abilities, plays into your personality. My church in Montreal, again, said, wow, God's really working on you. Could we give you a list of names for you to call and just say, hey, I'm Kevin. The elder sent me. Can I pray for you? Like, you want me to call people I don't know? Yeah. Unannounced? (laughs) Yeah, well, if you're not comfortable calling, just show up at their home. Would you like that? If someone you don't know just showed up at your house, say hi, the elders told me to pray for you, that's okay if some churches do that. But the introvert in me says, it'll be a cool day in some place where the devil's going to go before I show up unannounced to someone's home that I don't know, saying, can I pray for you? My personality doesn't resonate with that at all. Maybe you're like, oh, can we start that ministry? You know, maybe that's how it's working. It all plays together. So your homework is, do you know your shape? Because we as a church, we don't want people serving in areas of ministry out of obligation or guilt or shame or tradition. Because I believe you will feel most alive when you sacrifice a bit of time, when you sacrifice a little bit of your comfort, but when you know your shape and you sacrifice and you live out your shape, you will be more blessed than you know what to do with. God will feel closer than he's ever felt. You will feel more on fire for the mission of God and the work of God in the world when you know your shape. So if you don't know what it is, email me. Kevin at greenbelt.church and I'll send you something so you can look this up this week. Because if you're always, you will always feel distracted if you're always putting yourself first. <laughs> God's got a great mission in the world. He wants people to know Jesus. He wants to know that he loves them and not all religions lead to God. Not all faiths are the same. And he has called us to the most important work in the world of seeing more and more people come to know Jesus, to grow in their faith, to get equipped in their faith, and to be sent out to be on mission for God. And you get to be a part of that. And that pleases God. When you step into that game. And we want to be a church that helps everybody find their role so that you could be greatly blessed as you bless others. Let's pray together. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for this passage of scripture that really challenged me this week, got me to take a good hard look at my life, to ask myself, where am I distracted? <laughs> Are all these areas of my life, could I truly call them that I'm living out my divine service? And thank you for making it clear the areas where I'm not and giving me the strength through your spirit to to grow in this and to be changed by it. And Lord, I pray that for all of us here as a church family today, that we would grow in being a living sacrifice. (laughs) Because that is our true worship to you, God. We come on Sunday to adore you and to sing praises to you, but we want our whole lives to be a divine service to you. How we handle school should look different than the other students. People in our workplace, we should look different how we handle our jobs because it's a divine service. How we handle raising our kids should look different than the other parents around us because it's our divine service. Wherever you call us to, God, I pray that we would live lives that are set apart because of your work in our lives. You know, and if you are here today, like I said at the beginning, you you know, if you'd say, well, I, I really don't believe in Jesus, and you've been exempted from everything I've said before. <laughs> but I want you to know that you can have a life. Jesus came to give you life to the full. The message of Jesus is not just, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray this prayer so I don't have to be separated from God for eternity. Jesus says, no, put me first in your life and all these other things that you're striving for will be taken care of. He'll take away your worry. He takes away your fear. He takes away your doubt. And you can become part of the family of God just by not being religious, not taking some class, but just doing what the Bible says to do. To believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin. To believe that God rose him from the dead. and To tell someone that you're believing that. It makes all the difference in the world. And if you do that even today, come and meet me in the cafe afterwards. Tell me you've done that. I'd love to pray for you. But God, as we collect our offering now, I pray that you would use the gifts that we give. I pray that you would use the generosity of your children to do more than we could ask or imagine through your work in this church, our church plants, our missionaries around the world that are doing all of this work to see the name of Jesus lifted up. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, speak to all of our hearts, speak to all of our hearts, speak to my heart (laughs) to evaluate our lives and how we could live for you more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.